Well, let's go ahead and get started. We'll let people uh, join us. We have uh, we have a lot to do. We're not going to cover all this. There's two pages, two, three pages, two sheets for the outline. So it's a lot to go through. We're not going to do all of it. We're going to we're going to focus on one part of it. Today is the uh, 12th. Is that right? Yes, the 12th of uh, April, and this is lesson. Three or chapter 22 of Matthew. Let's uh, let's pray. It is our duty to praise the Master of all, to ascribe greatness to the Molder of primeval creation. For He has not made us like the nations of the lands, and not emplaced us like the families of the earth. For He has not assigned our portion like theirs, nor our lot like all the multitudes. For they bow to vanity and emptiness, and pray to a God which helps not. But we bend our knees and bow and acknowledge our thanks before the King who reigns over kings, the Holy One. Blessed is He. He stretches out the heaven and established the earth's foundations. The seat of his homage is the heavens above and his powerful presence is in the loftiest heights. He is our God. There is none under. True is our king. There is nothing beside him. As it is written in the Torah, you are to know this day and take to your heart that the Lord is the only God in heaven above and on the earth below and there is none other therefore we put our hope in you Lord our God that we may soon see your mighty splendor to remove detestable idolatry from the earth and false gods will be utterly cut off to perfect the universe through the almighty's, almighty's sovereignty then all humanity will call upon your name to turn all the earth's wicked toward you all the world's inhabitants will recognize and know that to you every knee should bend and every tongue should swear before you Lord our God they will bend every knee and cast themselves down to the glory of your name. They will render homage and they will all accept upon themselves the yoke of your kingship that you may reign over them soon and eternally. <clears throat> for the kingdom is yours and you will reign for all eternity in glory. For it is written in the Torah, the Lord shall reign for all eternity. And it is said, the Lord will be king over all the world. And on that day, the Lord will be one in his name one. Amen. That's the Alenu and we, we actually sing it and we sit say it in Hebrew a lot uh, at the end of the service usually that's the English that's Art Scrolls translation uh, today we're looking at chapter 22 of Matthew part 3 um, and uh, this is three sheets two pages uh, long outline we're not going to be able to get to all of it I'm going to jump through the first couple points here and then we'll then we'll get into the meat I want to focus on the greatest commandment uh, at the end of chapter 22 and go over just a few things there to make sure that uh, um, we get the the uh, the focus the correct focus for this passage uh, your homework was probably a little bit long as well uh, you may not have finished it if you uh, you had a couple weeks and you have a couple weeks for the next week as well, because next week I will not be here. Shabbat Hagadol. Actually, it's a, it's a wonderful, what a great weekend. We have Shabbat Hagadol on next Shabbat. And that night we have, uh, is a Rev uh, Pesach, so uh, a Passover Seder. If you don't have uh, access to a, uh, if you're not planning to have one at your home, find someone. And uh, invite yourself. Thank you. Where That's right. Uh, if you if you if you have occasion to be in East, if you have occasion to be in East Texas, you're always invited uh, to to our uh, our uh, Pesach table. Um, uh, it's going to be a large family, but we always make room for guests. First uh, John four seventeen. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because He is. So we are in this world. First John five three. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 
we looked at parables. So we looked at a couple parables last week, and really we've kind of gotten a parable every week that's kind of uh, going this vineyard way. So we had the vineyard parable last week that kind of related to the week before. Or um, the vineyard parables provide a backdrop to the teaching and examination that was going on in, in days before the Passover. Um, what we're seeing in this, in these chapters, from chapter, I think it's what, 20 on, we're actually seeing a, uh, actually 19 even. No, chapter 20 on. We're actually seeing the last week before the Passover. How perfect is this timing? It wasn't intentional, it was accidental. Uh, but we, we see this, uh, uh, this, uh, this questions that are coming to him are, are acceptable questions. Please never believe. It is the responsibility of leaders to question newcomers, to question, who, who are you? What are you? He's a teacher. People are following him. It's their responsibility to make sure he's not a false teacher, right? So don't look at the questions themselves as, as an affront. They're not. However, the intent is very clear sometimes. Some of these questions are intended to be, uh, intended to trap him, intended to actually uh, show that he's a false teacher, which he is not. So we need to understand it within that context. And because of that, the, the, especially these vineyard parables, this coming across this point of the vineyard parables is that the leadership, the leadership of the day, was, had, had led the people astray. Uh, um, replacement theology says the religion had led, led, led people astray. Uh, we understand it's the leadership, the, the, specifically the chief priests. Uh, and certainly some of the Pharisees, as we get into chapter 23, we're going to see it's not all of them. And we've given very strong words by Yeshua how we're supposed to treat these Pharisees. Um, not the way that people think. But we'll see that next week. Or week after next, because we're going to skip a week. Uh, but the wedding parable. The wedding parable uh, what comes up in this chapter, chapter 22. It is, it, is a, it, is, it is paired with the wicked vine dressers, but the point is not the same. The king in this is God. The king's son, of course, is Yeshua. Everybody is invited to this feast and basically people say I can't come I'm too busy you know the song I cannot come to the banquet um, uh, they can't come they're too busy <laughs> well we'll sing it all together if you don't like that uh, 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 the messengers go out to tell people hey you need to come to the banquet and uh, people can't come uh, but when the invitation goes out to the highways and the byways all the sinners they, they say yeah I'll come and they all show up uh, <coughs> some didn't come wearing wedding garments though yeah, here's something very interesting. That's, isn't that funny? That people like this parable because it's many are called and few are chosen because it kind of fits with whatever their theology is, either side. The problem is that that's not the focus of the parable, is it? Folks, the parable is come prepared. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. Are you wearing the right clothes? What clothes should we wear? Immediately, I would hope most of us would say, well, I'll wear the clothes that he gives me. Right? Uh... Unfortunately, a lot of people would think that means I don't have to put them on. I just have to bring them hanging on a hanger. Right? That's imputed righteousness. If all you have is imputed righteousness, in other words, you should have saved me, therefore I'm declared righteous. If that's all you have, if that's your claim, and that's all you can do, is say, well, he says I'm righteous and that's good enough, which is, by the way, true. But if you can't live according to what he's done, then that's just hanging it on a hanger. Those clothes are not put on. You need to put the clothes on, appropriate it. So he's declared you righteous, live righteously. It's not your righteousness anyway, it's his. At the end of Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, uh, it will be righteousness for us if we obey 
all his statutes and commandments. It will be righteous. He's not lying. He's telling us the truth. Uh, it's not a trap. It's not a trick. That's the theologian's answer. Remember, if God says it, he says it in the language of men. He expects you to understand it. If a theologian has to explain it, something's wrong. <laughs> I'm picking on theologians again. I'm sorry. It, it doesn't have to be explained. It's plain language. There are deep things in Scripture. But the things that are important are the things clearly written, aren't they? It seems that um, not picking on anyone. No, but we're not going to. buy into the elect. You know, I'm the elect. So I, I, you know, I, 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 think, I think that's the wrong focus, don't you? What's the focus? Yeshua wants people to respond. What have we seen since chapter 1 of Matthew, or chapter 2? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wants people to respond. Uh, you know, playing, playing, playing the theology game of chosen, not chosen, called, not called. You know, that's all fine and well. It may be fun. Actually, I enjoy that kind of stuff. You know, I enjoy, I enjoy talking theology, uh, philosophy. But well, what, what does he want? He wants people to decide to do something. The fact is, it's in Scripture. That's right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, as we saw when we looked at called and chosen, that the focus was both groups. There wasn't a refining. Yeah, well, boy, everybody gets called, but I hope you get chosen. <laughs> you know. uh, the invitation goes out to all. That's true. The invitation goes out. But who does it go out to? Actually, it doesn't go out to all. It goes out to some select few and that's where people do this theology game well see that was Israel and now everybody else gets invited because Israel turned it down see that's the, that's the theological, theological game what is the purpose for the parable the purpose for the parable remember parables are not building alternate realities all they're simply doing is it's a sermon illustration he's making a point a single point it's not about the invitation it's about repentance show up dressed right but that's also for Israel that's right. Anybody. Well, the invitation didn't go away. <laughs> right? If they'd showed up dressed right, right? The end of Acts chapter, chapter 7, it says, you were given, Stephen said, you were given the law through the, through the, uh, through the, the, the mediation of angels and you did not keep it. And that's when they started stoning the, the failure of these religious leaders is they had a religion that uh, was law-based. That was not incorrect. What was incorrect is they didn't keep it. They didn't do what God said. Let's move on. Taxes and the resurrection is this next point. Excuse me. They, they talked the law, but they didn't. That's right. They, as, as Yeshua said, now I'm speaking in generalities because there are many righteous men in this yeah. group. But they had a cup and they made sure the outside was clean but the inside was not. Right? In other words, only what men saw. Whitewashed sepulchers. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. We're speaking in generalities now. Don't, don't fall prey to the idea that that meant, well, there's only 12 guys that got it figured out. <laughs> because the twelve didn't have it figured out either at first. <laughs> Certainly one didn't, but anyway. Let's move on. Uh, taxes and the resurrection. This is a wonderful thing. Uh, this is proof of what we're talking about. Because here in chapter 22, verse 23, it says, The same day the Sadducees who came to say there's no resurrection came to him and said, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, have no children. His brother should marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. First died, he had, him, he, and he had married, having no offspring. Let his, let his wife 
left his wife to his brother. Likewise, this is the Leverite marriage. Likewise, the second also. The third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the women died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. This is, this is uh, I love this. This is Greek logic. Ooh, this, oh, we're going to trap him on this. There's no resurrection. They're Sadducees. They don't believe in a resurrection, right? So, and what does Yeshua do? Wow. I mean, he, if, you, if you read the Talmud, this is, this is the way the Talmud, this is like, okay, uh, here's one for you. How about he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if they're dead. So he can't be the God of the dead, so they must have to be resurrected. That's Talmudic logic. That's exactly right. That's the opposite of Greek logic. It's Talmudic logic. What does he do? He actually says, he actually does a Midrash. He proves the resurrection by God declaring himself to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isn't that powerful? I mean, it is. It's great. And not only that, then all the Pharisees are standing by going, whoa, we like that one. That's a good one. We're going to use that next time. It's true. The multitudes heard this and were astonished at his teaching. Because what did he do? He just handed on a silver platter this big contest between Sadducees and Pharisees, a wonderful, wonderful argument. The Pharisees now like him. Now the Sadducees, they didn't like him before anyway. Who are the Sadducees? Where is their camp politically? What is their purpose in this group of it? Would anybody even follow somebody that says there's no resurrection? What's the point? How is it that they had any power or sway at all in the land of Israel in the first century? Is it, um, is it accurate to say that the, the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection because that's not strictly tied in the Torah? Yeah, that's it. Five books, that's all. We don't believe in anything else. In fact, even the prophets, depending, depending on the extremeness of the Sadducees, they even say the prophets don't count. So what, why, is it, why, is this, why are the Sadducees, why do they have any following at all? That's it. They were in charge, and in fact, because of that, the Sanhedrin had 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 the probably not the president of the Sanhedrin, but the chief priest, the high priest, was probably was probably a Sadducee, as as we see later on. Yosef uh, ben uh, uh, Caiaphas is probably a Sadducee. So, the, but certainly the, the priests were a lot, lot of the priests were. Okay, so their power came from Rome. Well, it was appointed, yes, absolutely. Okay. Incorrectly. Rome instead of from God. That's right. Okay. So they, they but not to, not to diminish Sadducees too much, because we have remnants of them today in, in the uh, in the Karaites, although uh, they may believe in a resurrection. They're they're the remnant of the of what would be called the Sadducees. Anyway, this big contest. By the way, do you know when the contest was settled? Who won? The Pharisees won, which is modern Judaism. Actually, it's uh, Orthodox Judaism is the Pharisees. That's right. They won. Uh, they believe in a resurrection. That's why, we, why when we read Yeshua's words, we go, you know, he sounds an awful lot like a Pharisee. <laughs> Find something that he said that doesn't match. By the way, there are some things, but you'll have to search them out. Oh, he did. He did. He jumped on both of them. So when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. They like this. Now, don't think this next thing is, is bad. They like this. They thought, that's great. We like this. So they go, here, let's ask him this question. This is one of their favorites. This is one of their favorite questions because it's a great question. It's a question that's designed to give give credence to the one who gives the answer. Okay? Because listen, he says, one of them, a lawyer, asked him the question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment in the law? Oh, actually, i got to skip back. I skipped over taxes. Go back to uh, verse 19. Uh, verse uh, 18. 
This is before the Sadducees, another group, the Herodians. You did this in your homework. The Herodians are here. But Yeshua, uh, um, yeah, verse 16. Then they sent him... Uh, sent their disciples with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Liars. <laughs> nor, do you care, nor do you care about anyone. We do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do we think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Yeshua perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. Where are they? They're in the temple. Show me that money... In the temple? I don't think so. What did he just do? The chapter previous. He cleared the temple of money changers, right? There was not supposed to be any money except the shekel for the temple offering. That's the only money that's supposed to come into the temple at all. I mean, that's why we're exchanging animals, y'all, right? Uh, There's no buying your way into the presence of God. So there's not supposed to be any money. And not only that, not money with an image on it. <laughs> I mean, come on. But the Herodians were prepared. Yes, well, so they were Jewish. They were Jewish. Well, they were Jewish. But these are mostly secular Jews. Uh-huh. To them, temple religion was a political thing. Like many are modern, modern, modern politicians. You know, it's convenient. Uh, you're not going to get anywhere unless you're a member of the, you know. Look, I went to temple every week, every day. Excuse me. Uh, he says, show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius, okay? And he said on it, whose image and inscription is this? He's there in, so what he's done is he's just showed their wickedness. I mean, they're asking him a question about money. That's fine. But he's shown their wickedness because they have the money right there to see him. See? Whose picture's on it? They brought an idol into the temple. That's right. They brought an idol into the temple. And no one said anything, which is why the Sadducees are kicked back in this following exchange. Because it's like, oops. I don't know if this is just going over everybody's head. You know, when when he attacks the coin. Well, no, it's not. They they get it. People knew that, sure. But there's like, we don't worry about that. Come on, that's a technicality. We have three groups here in these in these in these accounts. We have the Herodians, the extreme, the liberal, if you would. Then you have the Sadducees, who are actually. They're, they say they believe in the literal word of God and only the literal word of God. The problem is that that they don't. They really don't. If they revert veered the Torah then in fact they would have been a much different people and would have had a much better following. Then there's the Pharisees. The Pharisees who actually say really good things. I want you to pay attention. When they, do your homework in the next couple of weeks. I want you to pay attention to chapter 23. Chapter 23 is a blistering attack upon, upon Pharisees. It is not a blistering attack upon the theology or the lifestyle of the Pharisee. Be able to separate the two. So when you do your homework, think about that. So here we are now. He's talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees come and they ask a question. This is a good question. Verse 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment? Well, you see, you guys, are, you guys are like predisposed to say that, as they were then. Well, I was going to say, what they, I mean, why were they asking that question? Didn't they I give you a new commandment. Mm-hmm. What is it? Love one another even even as I have loved you. Isn't that the greatest commandment? Yeah. You, can't, you can't do that unless, unless 
That's not. It's not. Listen, we don't have new commandments to replace old commandments. Yeshua, when you read his answer here, there's no way he would have ever said, oh, by the way, this is new, totally different. What was he saying? He was saying the same thing that he's going to say here. This new commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you. This is a qualitative improvement, no question about it. But the first commandment is absolutely the pinnacle. Listen to what it says. This commandment. What is it? The Shema. And I've written written Echad. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The first and greatest commandment. Uh... Go to Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. This is actually the second paragraph. This is from the second paragraph of the Shema. Uh, you, you know it's repeated twice, right? It starts in Deuteronomy 6 and it says it again in Deuteronomy 11. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, commands, and his commandments always. You shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his commandments always. Uh, Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's indivisible. He's echad. Uh, one is probably not even a good... Uh, okay, good. You shall love... That, thank you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Yeah, the, the three parts. Yeah, the Greek, excuse me, I was getting ahead of myself. The Greek actually does a couple other words in there too. But uh, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the words that I command you today shall be in your heart. Okay, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and that's relating to the heart. This shall be a frontlets between your eyes, that's relating to the soul. Uh, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Um, these are not just a... This is not a creed. I know some people think it's a creed. This is not a creed. This is a declaration of our, our loyalty. He's king. We're his, we're his servants. So he says, what's the, they say, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Uh, he doesn't stop there. Don't worry. They wouldn't have either. <laughs> That's the common misunderstanding. It goes, it, so many so-called New Testament scholars don't study the religion of the day. If they did, then they'd know that these two commandments, does all the, prophets, the, does all the law and the prophets hang, are the same two commandments that Judaism said at the day. These two commandments. What two commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. Verse 39. Matthew 29, verse 39. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They didn't ask him what these two commandments were. What answer does he give them? He gives them Halil's answer. Right? Halil's dead. He's gone. He's been dead for 20 years when, when Yeshua says this. But Pharisees... They claim Hallel. Well, they claim Ezra all the way through, but they claim Hallel. He's the he's the one. I mean, he's the he's the he's the one that really defined the Pharisee movement. So what we see here is when he says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might," and the second is like it. He's boy, he's siding right up with them, and they love this. They think this is great. This is good stuff. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There's a I don't know if it's a legend or in the Talmud where 
he said, Halal, someone challenged me, teach me the whole Torah while standing on one foot. That's right. And that was his answer. That's right. Pretty much the same answer. That's it, that's it. standing on a foot, which is a, a common way of saying that teach it to me while standing on a foot, is this question. That's exactly what it is. He said, all the rest is commentary, go there for and learn. Yeah, that's exactly on. right. Well, now, you follow through, and Yeshua is saying the same thing. Here's the danger of these two commandments. See, God, he just did away with... He said in Matthew chapter 17, I did not come to abolish the law or the Torah or the, or the prophets, right? But what people do is they read this and they go, see, you just did it away. All you have to do is love God and love everybody else. That's it. Nothing else matters. You're right. That is it. How do I love God? <laughs> and that's right. How do I show I love God? And how do I how do I know if I love my neighbor? Some people think they love their neighbor by eating them. <laughs> how do I know that's wrong? How can I know if I love my neighbor? Do you build a fence around your roof where people could walk? So they don't fall off. That's loving your neighbor. That's right. The Torah tells you to do that. You care about your neighbor so they won't fall off your roof when he's walking around your roof. Well, it's my roof. I can do whatever I want. No, if you loved your neighbor, you'd put a fence around your roof. Do you love your neighbor when you, uh, when you see a mother bird and a baby bird in the road? And you take the baby bird and all the mother bird's still alive. Well, what does that have to do with it? Well, even the weakest, even the weakest, you should be merciful to, right? Yeah, so yes, that's the definition, loving my neighbor, which is that to the least of the commandments, by the way. If you want to know the greatest, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Want to know the least? Don't take the baby in, in, in sight of the, of the mother bird. Greatest and the least. All the rest in between, it's, this is summation stuff, isn't it? That's exactly what he's doing. This is the sum. You're saying first and last. Greatest... Most important, yeah. least. least. Least important. Are you first and last? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the Shema said twice daily, we know we say it, rising up and laying down. Slightly different when you lay down. Uh, Yeshua does not stop, nor did the sages who taught the centuries before. The seconds like it is actually from the Torah. Well, see, this is a problem. Is a lot of people don't even know the Bible when they start spouting off these things. Right? Well, see, he just replaced it. Love your... Love... God, but love your neighbor as yourself. That's a new commandment. No, love your neighbor as I have loved you is what he says is the new commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself is straight from the Torah. Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the Torah and the prophets. All scripture. They're hangers. They're not replacements. They're summations. They support the rest. Listen, this is like the Ten Commandments, as what people call the Ten Commandments, which actually is the Ten Words, as you did, we talked about this before, the Ten Words, there are no Ten Commandments, it's not called the Ten Commandments, although they are commandments. They're a index. You want to know categories, go to it. Right? There's ten categories. Um, there are categories, uh, we have five that are vertical, have to do with our loving him, and we have five that are horizontal, having to do with loving our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, and these... These two categories, and putting these two categories are what we see in Matthew chapter 22, right? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Placing the commandments of God into categories uh, is not the same thing as negating them by coming up with new categories. There's ritual, there's civil, there's moral. Well, Scripture never defines three categories of 
commandments in that way. The only purpose for ever doing that, I'm sorry, there's only one purpose for doing it, and it's to negate them. Mm-hmm. See, I don't have to do those. Well, civil. The government will take care of those. Uh, and then there's moral. Well, yes, you still have to do that. You can't commit adultery. Because the minute you start saying, well, there is no law, people say, well, I can do anything. No, 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 you can't do anything. You can't lie. Right? That's moral. But I don't have to... I can eat whatever I want. Well, sure, yeah, because that's ritual. Or, uh, what's another word? Ceremonial. Right? Because, well, that, would, that, one, that one doesn't apply to you because that's been taken care of. Well, why haven't all of them been taken care of if that's what it is? Why don't we just live by any means we want? There actually is a measurement over in Europe that says Well, at least they're consistent. Jesus completed the law, and therefore they have no law. Well, actually, uh, you'll find that in most seminaries today will say that as well. Something else is new has come. It is a, it is a greater law. It's great, I agree, absolutely. It's a greater law. Please define it for me. And, and actually what it'll say is, no, no, it's there. Look it, it's in the New Testament. Start at page one and go all the way to the end. There's a thousand commandments there. Not 613, there's a thousand. See, there's lots of laws. We're, we're by those laws. And then you have to just ask the question, what's the difference between Matthew chapter 1 and Malachi chapter 4 in an English Bible? One's written originally in Hebrew. Hint, hint. The other one's written in Greek. Oh, that's better. That's the reason. That's the reason. What you really find as you begin to see what's negated and what isn't negated is what's Jewish. What defines things as Jewish? That's, that's really the crux of it, isn't it? It's a very sad thing. It's a sad commentary. What we need to begin examining is what I need to ask is not what's been done away with. What can I do? Some things I can't do. I, don't, I can't go out here and have a sacrifice. I can't offer a lamb. For, for Passover next week, we're not going to eat lamb. We're not going to roast it, as it's described in Exodus, and have a lamb. Why? Because it tells us we can only do that at the place that he's placed his name. He says, you shall not have any private altars. That's what he says. The commandment says, I can't keep this commandment without a temple. Or without, a, without a tabernacle. I can't keep it. And there can't be many tabernacles and temples. So you can't just build one and say, there's ours. <laughs> it's a place where he plays his name. There's only one place in the world. So I can't do that. I should be simply asking, what can I do? That's a great question. How can he ever, how can he ever hate his children for asking, what can I do? Well, some people say he does. Speaking for myself, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I'd be first in line. This is from the Talmud. Now, this is now. Here's what I'm trying. When you read 23, chapter 23, and you're seeing this him, this blistering attack that Yeshua has against some Pharisees, I want you to keep this in mind. This is from the Talmud. This is this is the this is the 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 culture and religious understanding of the day. This is from the Talmud in uh, Makkot 24. 613 precepts were communicated to Moses. 365 negative precepts corresponding to the number of solar days and 248 positive precepts according to the number of the members of a man's body. David came and reduced it to 11 principles, Psalm 15. Isaiah came and reduced them to 6 principles, Isaiah 33:15. Micah came and reduced them to 3 principles, Micah 6:8. Again came Isaiah and reduced them to 2 principles, Isaiah 56. 
6.1. Amos came and reduced them to one principle, but it is Habakkuk who came and based them all on one principle, as it is said. And by the way, Christianity says this as well. What's the key verse in all of Scripture? It's Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. Paul uses this. Paul says, this is it. The just shall live by faith. Now, has he just replaced everything by saying that? See, that's the problem is that's exactly what people read Paul saying. The just shall live by faith, which means, by faith means the opposite of obeying. Opposite of obeying? And actually what it says is, now please don't be offended by this, but it actually says, the just shall live by his faith. His faith? Actually, it doesn't even say that. It says the just shall live by his faithfulness. It's not a thought. It's a thought that results in deeds. That's what faithfulness means. If a man is faithful to his wife, what does he not do? Not think only, but not do. Right? That's exactly right. Faithfulness requires a response, not just thinking. I have the right thoughts. Well, that's great. I'm glad. How do I know? Because by your deeds, isn't that what you should have said? By your deeds, you'll know. Right? We'll know them. Hopefully, we'll know us as well. It's steadfast. It's steadfast. And the first usage is when Moses' arms were held up. In the battle of the Amalekites. They were made steady. It's the bedrock. It's what everything's placed upon. It's not shaky. That's faith. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Let's look at Psalm 15 real quickly. Uh, yeah, I, think, I think I can get through part of this. Someday we're going to finish a lesson. Someday. <laughs> Glory be, we will have the world to come no end of time. To ask him questions and and to discuss these things. Wouldn't that be better? Much better. Uh, Psalm 15. Lord, who who may abide in your tabernacle? Here's the the 11 principles. Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly, walks and works righteousness, and speaks the truth in his heart, who does not backbite his tongue, nor evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friends, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change, he who does not put put out his money to usury, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He does. He who does these things shall never be moved. There you go. That's not a replacement. It's summation. He's trying to say, these are kind of like the last five of the ten words. Right? Uh, Isaiah 33. Isaiah 33, verse 14 through 17 says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? That's good things, by the way. To dwell in the presence of the Lord is to dwell where there is... uh, It's talking about the altar, right? The eternal altar. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high. The place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given to him. His water will be sure. 
your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will see the land that is very far off. And uh, Micah six eight. There's three things, or there's six things. Excuse me. And those are all related to body, body parts and verbs. Run, walk, run, gestures with hands, stops ears, shuts his eyes. You know the three: see no evil, hear no evil. It's six things. Uh, Micah six eight. Someone help us. Where's Micah? Jonah Micah Nam. Jonah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. Uh, boy, this is ought to be. This ought to be. Uh, these words should be precious to us. We ought to, These ought to be words that we live by, that we constantly come to me- to our minds. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Right? You know. You know. Sometimes I, I I look back at something I just did and I go, man, what was I thinking? How does that How does that sound? Walk humbly with your God compared to what I just did. You know. What did I just say? Oh, I can't believe I just said that. Walk humbly with your God. You know. When you start comparing what you do sometimes to these high standards. We, we know we fall short. But the answer isn't, well, I give up. No, the answer should be, I will continue to appropriate what he has given me. He has been gracious. He's given me commandments that they may set me apart. He has given them to me to discipline me, to teach me what righteousness looks like. So that when I know that I failed, I can ask for his forgiveness and appropriate his spirit that he's given to me to obey him. That's the answer. Not to wipe them away. Uh, failure is a teacher, isn't it? It is. Isaiah, failure is a great teacher. It is not condemnation. There is no condemnation to those who are in Messiah Yeshua. There's only the encouragement to get up and dust yourself off and walk faithfully. Go to Isaiah 56. Uh, each of these part of the Every one of these, that's right. I mean, is that how they came up? There's, no, the 613, you actually, if you start counting them, you can give or take a few, honestly. 613 were not invented by, by uh, I think it's somebody credits Rambam with inventing 600. It's not true. Uh, it's always been. Right here in the Talmud, it says 613. Uh, why 613? Uh, Rambam is probably the most famous in, in categorizing them. He actually went through and find, found, counted them. But there are different countings. Uh, sometimes it's kind of hard to say, is that a commandment? Because it's the negative. But, but the fact is, this is where they come from. Just yeah. going through the scripture. And That's it. Every time count them. Yep. Do something. That's it. That's exactly right. Or don't do something. It's a great, by the way, but you stop with the end of the Torah. You do do that. Yeah, this goes to the 613 from the five books. That's right, and it's a great practice. By the way, I don't know if you know if you, if you have a if you have a uh, I have a Gutnik uh, Chumash, and actually at the end of every parsha it says these are the commandments in this parsha, and it has a list of positive and negative. They're wonderful. You read them, and go, wow, I didn't notice that one. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> a great website that provides a summary for each one. For each parsha. For, yeah. for actually for the. They break them down into subjects, whether it's regarding Shabbat or the meals. Or That's right. It's really Google at 613 mythos or something. That's like great. That. Don't these commandments, though, um, don't these commandments sort of depend upon the existence of a nation? 
Some of them do, but not all. That's right. Some of them do. Uh, some of them do, but not all. One of the problems, one of the problems that we have is that uh, they, they, they demand a community. Torah is never let, meant to be left alone, lived alone on a desert island. Obviously, some people do. They have to, right? They're in prison. How do you live? Uh, but Torah is meant to be lived in a community. How can I show I love my neighbor if I have no neighbors? Right? So, obviously, yes. It, it, these, and that's why we're not saying, hey, look, this is a done deal. What we need to say is, what can I do? Instead of, what do I not have to do? That's, that's a different question, isn't it? Uh, go to, go to uh, Isaiah chapter 56.1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice, do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come. My righteousness to be revealed. I love that. Isn't that great? Two. These two. Keep. Right? These two verbs. Keep. Shamar. And Mishpat. God-given judgments. And to do. Keep. God-given judgment. Mishpat. Asat. Do. Righteousness. Right? Keep what he gives. Do what he says. Amos 5.4. Alright. Somebody tell me where Amos is. Joel Amos uh, Obadiah okay Amos 5.4 says thus says the Lord to the house of Israel seek me and live I like it don't you seek me and live that's like that's the one command seek me just seek me isn't that good still doesn't beat love the Lord your God <laughs> don't have to go far. Don't have to go far. Seek me. That's right. That's right. I seek me. I can keep thinking that one. I can memorize that one real easy. Uh, Habakkuk two four. The the just shall live by faith. And and I provided you a my own little commentary compared to Psalm one nineteen fifty six. Same word. The the emunatu. Faithfulness or steadfastness. All the commandments. This is what it says in, in, in uh, Psalm, 50, uh, Psalm 119.56. It says, All your commandments, all your mitzvot, mitzvot are faithful. Actually, if you read it, it says, All your commandments are faith. All your commandments are faith. Emunah is what it says. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 22. Actually, I, we already did that. Um, he does not replace the commandments of God in the same vein as these did not. What they did is they focused on they focused on trying to give you nice little hangers, things you can put things in, categorization. And so he says, love the Lord your God, this is the greatest commandment. By the way, it's the reason why it's the first. It's the reason why the first of the so-called Ten Commandments is not what may, many people say it is. The first is what? I am the Lord your God. That's the first. Different counting. If you read it in a Hebrew Bible versus an English Bible, the first is, I am the Lord your God. Everything is hanging on that. I am the Lord your God. Everything hangs on, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. John, uh, John 15, 14, obedience flows from love. Yeshua said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. His disciple that he loved, John, it tells us, as he said in First John, he, he, he says something very interesting. He said, if you love me, you keep my... But, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. We prove our obedience by loving him. And uh, i gotta, I got to do this one thing if you guys give me two minutes to talk about Son of David, Son of, son of God. In, in Matthew chapter 22... This is very important because this is where things fall apart. These Pharisees that so were enamored by what his answer was, because it was the answer they would have given. 
Look how they immediately then ask him this question. While the Pharisees, verse, uh, verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Yeshua asked them, saying, what, excuse me, what, he asked them, what do you think about Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Listen, he's asking them questions now. Because this is the point that he wants. He's answered their question well. Throughout the Gospels, you see the Pharisees kind of go back and forth. Some, they actually save his life at one point. Because people try to kill him. They actually warned him. But so you see this back and forth. You know, they're not real sure. They just know it theologically sounds like us. But, you know, we're not sure about him. And when he asks this question, they, they can't. They, they can't quite come up with it. He says, who do you think, who do you, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said, son of David. He said that, how does, then does David in the spirit call him Lord Adoni? Saying, the Lord, this is, if you look at it in your Bible, it might be a, all capitals, okay? And then said to my Lord in, in, in normal case, right? And when you look at it in the Hebrew, which is a quote from, uh, from Psalm uh, 110, when you look at the Hebrew, and actually Psalm 2 as well, when you look at the Hebrew, that all caps is the, is the four-letter holy name of God. So it says, actually, Hashem said to my Lord, Adoni. Hashem said to Adoni, sit at my right hand till I make your, till I make your enemies your footstool. If David calls him Lord, right, who's he saying? David calls Hashem Lord, Adoni. How is he his son? This is, this is again, Talmudic. It's not Talmudic logic. It's Yeshua's logic. But this is the way that people talked and thought. This is the way they logic, logically thought through problems. It, it's, it's unique. It's, it's not Greek. It's not Western. It's, it's a unique Eastern way of thinking of things. How do you call him Lord? Why do you call him Lord? This is a question. It's like Rashi. What's the, what's the purpose for this verse? What am I not seeing here? This seems totally opposite. How can David call him Lord? Right? So, what we, what, uh, uh, this idea that he'd be the son of David, that's from Psalm 119, that the Messiah would be son of David. The reason why he can do this, by the way, is Judaism said of the day, the Pharisees specifically said, Psalm, that the Messiah would be the son of David. So he's already gone. Okay, Messiah, son of David, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Then who is he talking about here? Because they say, they would say Psalm 119 is about Messiah. Yeah, absolutely. They still do. We still do. This is about Messiah. Then how does he call him Lord? He's his son. Why does he call him Lord? He's his son. Can't call your son. The son is never greater than the father. Why did he call him Lord? Uh, It's a riddle. It becomes the chief charge against him later later on in the book. This is what they're going to trap him on. This is what, in fact, becomes the thing that they charge him with blasphemy over. This one right here. This is the blasphemy. See, this is kind of hidden. You know, they didn't charge him for saying, I'm Messiah. They charged him over this because what was he saying? He's saying he's son of God. They knew what he was saying. They knew exactly what he was saying. There was no confusion on their part. What does he mean by this? They knew exactly what he meant. It's like, oh man, did he just say what I thought he said? Yeah, he said it. That's what he said. Oh, well that's it. We're definitely champion on his side. He may sound like us, but who does he think he is? It's one thing to think you're Messiah. 
but the Son of God? They didn't understand Messiah was the Son of God. No, no, and that's no. That's right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that our Master is greater than all. Father, we thank you that he has given us good commandments, that every word that comes from your mouth is for life and is for our benefit. And Father, that he encourages us to continue to look to your words that you spoke as a source of life. Father, we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit and have cleansed us of our unrighteousness and stood us upright and declared us to be righteous and told us to walk in righteousness. Thank you that you have given us Yeshua, not only as our Savior, but our Master and Lord. And we look for his soon return. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.